scripture reading this morning will be from Ecclesiastes 12, verses 9 through 14. Uh, you'll find this on the page 595 in the Pew Bible if you'd like to read along. I will be reading from the King James Version. <coughs> and moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of faith, truth. The words of the wise are as goads and as snail, nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And further, by these, my son, be admonished, of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Good morning. It is good to see each of you, and if you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. We have several of our young people away at a Evangelism University, which is a weekend where young people hear many, many lessons all Friday evening, all day Saturday, and throughout this morning about evangelism, the salvation of God, and urging individuals to share that with those peers around them. And we're glad that Phil and Andrew are able to be with our young people today in such an atmosphere. Warning, forgetting your Bible may cause. And each of the Sundays this month, we're considering various aspects of our life that are harmed if we forget our Bible. And this morning, we look at the fact that we will have diagnostic failure. You know, none of us want to be sick, but the last thing we want is whenever we go to an emergency room or to a doctor and him misdiagnose our problem, our disease, our sickness. I'd like to give you just a few actual results that could be multiplied time and time again in America from a medical malpractice book, the third edition. A child swallowed a foreign metal material. The attending physician failed to diagnose the trouble. The child died. A child ingested an alkaline solution at the hospital emergency room. The physician used the wrong antidote. The child suffered permanent esophageal injury. A patient suffered from cancer, but the attending physician failed to diagnose the disease. The cancer spread. The patient died. A patient ingested insecticide. His physician incorrectly diagnosed his condition and failed to administer the proper antidote. The outcome was permanent brain damage. A patient suffered from an appendicitis, and it was misdiagnosed. The appendix ruptured. The patient died. A woman had a cancerous condition of the leg, but an inaccurate diagnosis was made, and the patient was subjected to heat and ultrasonic treatments. The cancer spread, and the patient died. Those are a few examples and reminders of how important it is for us to really know what is the problem. It's hard to treat a problem that we do not know exists. And it's even worse to treat a problem that does not exist. And so it is this morning. 
as we ask the question, what is the purpose of your life? How is it that you can find satisfaction in life? You know, there was an email that went around frequently, especially about a year ago. And the idea was, how do you live your dash? Because when we visit cemeteries and we see headstones, we see the date of someone's birth, and we see the date of someone's death. And in between that is simply a dash. And that dash represents all of one's life. Isn't it interesting, as we ask that question, we can go to one of the books in the Bible, the book of Ecclesiastes, and that was the very purpose that Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He looked at the beginning of man, and he looked at the end of man, and he addressed that that lies between. What is the purpose? What is the substance? When we go back to the beginning of Ecclesiastes, I want to read to you verse 2. And note, this is the theme that runs throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 1, verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. He seems like a pessimist there, doesn't he? He examines all that lies there within the dash, and he says, I see it as emptiness, worthlessness. I look around at all of the things that man accomplishes and tries to accomplish in his life, and I see that it's vain, that it's empty. This morning, it would do all of us well to study from this tremendous book and see the conclusion of the matter. Let's think for just a moment about Solomon. His life was largely lived by the time that he wrote this. Also, we see that he speaks of this time period between birth and death, and we see that the theme is that of vanity. Solomon in Ecclesiastes, the 12th chapter, that's been so capably read for us, if you will, let's go to verse 13. Ecclesiastes 12 and 13. This has been read, but I want you to notice the first phrase as we begin this morning's lesson. He said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. The NAS, the New American Standard, would say the conclusion when all has been heard. Now, wait a minute. What does he mean, hear the conclusion of the whole matter? What has been said? It's as if he's saying, now I've said all of that to say this. So what we have to do is we have to drop back earlier into the book of Ecclesiastes to say, well, what have you said? What is it that you've already mentioned so that we can draw the conclusion of the matter? This morning, let's go back to the first chapter and let's draw the conclusion of the matter along with Solomon. And let's think about honestly in our lives, do we think that these things bring purpose into our life? Do we think that we will find satisfaction through these things? We'll mention several things rather quickly throughout the first and the second chapter as Solomon identifies things that he tried in his life. Keep in mind, this is a king. A king that has so many opportunities, so many paths available for him to, to travel and to struggle with. Here's the way he addresses some of the things that he tried in life. Let's look at the first chapter, beginning at verse 16, 17, and 18. He says, I communed with my heart, saying, Look, I have attained greatness, and I have gained more wisdom than all who have come before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge, and I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also was grasping for the wind, for in much wisdom is much grief. And he who increases knowledge 
increases sorrow. Here, he writes what seems to be of a human wisdom and definitely a human knowledge. And he says, I spent my life thinking that if I could just know more, if I could know all that there is to know, if I could have a wisdom that would be uh, excelled and excellent above all other men, I could find some kind of purpose and satisfaction in life. Now keep in mind, for faithful Christians to be wise and to be knowledgeable is a great gift. But if we ever start believing that within the knowledge we obtain, we will find our purpose and our satisfaction in life. In other words, if I can just reach that degree, if I can just obtain that level of knowledge, I will have arrived on the spot, and there everything will come together in my life. That's just not so. He says you're grasping at the wind. When do you catch the wind? You don't know because it sifts through your fingers as quickly as you close your hand. You see, he concluded by saying, really, the more I learn, the more sad I become in life. I don't know where the balance is in America. I can make an interesting observation. Many of us had grandparents or grandparents that had a fifth-grade education. Others had an eighth-grade education. Some grandparents had a high school education. But at certain time periods, all of those were acceptable. It was common in a community for folks to have an eighth grade education because a high school wasn't close by. Other generations, everyone had a high school available, and so it was expected to have at least a high school education. And then, many of you will remember the days where a two-year degree was considered a higher education, and then a four-year degree. And now, what is expected of many college graduates? To do master's work to do graduate degrees. And now, just as much so in some professions is the idea of a doctorate. How long will it be before a doctorate is a common degree for most Americans to obtain? You see, the point is, in life, if we think that just reaching certain degrees will be the point in time that we will have arrived, we will have found our purpose in life, we can rest assured on this. Solomon tried it. And he said it was vanity. It was empty. If that alone is what thrust us through life, that alone cannot be our degree. Let's go into the second chapter. In the second chapter, he said, I set my heart to pleasure. Let's read chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. In other words, with pleasure. Therefore, enjoy pleasure, but surely this also was vanity. I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth. What does it accomplish? And so here he begins this chapter by saying, let me tell you what we're going to talk about, but also let me go ahead and give you the summary of it. He said, when I found out that I couldn't find what I was looking for in life through knowledge, I thought, well, maybe I need to stop being so studious and I need to start just enjoying life a little more. If I could just find all the pleasure that I could find, I could relax then and say, I've arrived. I found my purpose for living. And he summarizes by saying, I tried it all. And it was folly. It was madness. We definitely live in a society that can relate to both of the points that have already been made. A society of education, but also a society of pleasure. Let's see if the things that he tries are things that our society tries also. Let's look at verse 3. Tried to find this through substance. He says in 3, I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom. And he writes on to say that it was folly. 
You see, our generation and our society isn't the first to struggle with the concept that maybe we can find a purpose for life through substances. Or maybe we can alter our moods in life through substances to deal with the life that we have or the life that we want to escape. Isn't it interesting, as he talks about pleasures, one of the first that he talks about is that of an intoxicating substance. I need to recognize that that's not the pleasure. That pleasure does not find the purpose in living. We look at the next in verse 4, and he talks about the possessions. I made my works great, and I built my houses How many today believe that if they can just have their houses, they will have arrived? They will have fulfilled their purpose for living. If they can have a summer home or a winter home, or if their one house can also have a guest house out back. You see, Solomon not only built God's temple, which was a magnificent structure, but he also had his own palaces. One particular palace took 13 years for everyone to build. Other palaces were made for his wives and his concubines. He built other cities that were fortresses, other cities that were store cities, other cities that were chariot towns alone. He also built another house of the cedars of Lebanon that was a beauty to behold. You see, when we read through 2 Kings, especially the 7th chapter and the 8th chapter and the ninth chapter, we quickly identify the fact that Solomon was quite the builder. In other words, if anyone could build enough to find satisfaction on this earth, Solomon was the one that could have arrived. He could have said, well, it took years and years, and it took millions and billions of dollars, but finally I have built enough buildings that now i found true happiness in life. But instead he said, It was all vanity. But not only did he build the buildings, but as we continue reading in verse 4, he also planted the vineyards, the gardens in five, the orchards, and also all kind of fruit trees. In verse 6, he also had the water pools. In other words, he had the irrigation system. You see, he had the things that only the wealthy could afford. No one else could afford this irrigation system except the king himself. There were three tremendous-sized pools built from below Bethlehem all the way into Jerusalem with earthen pipes traveling those miles, bringing loads of water so that his vineyards and his fruit trees never experienced a drought. Friends, he knew not only what it was to live in beautiful buildings, but also to have beautiful landscapes surrounding those buildings. But yet he said of these buildings, of these possessions, he said, it was all vanity. I didn't find it. Friends, if I'm honestly thinking this morning that the next house I buy will bring satisfaction to my life, if my idea is that a possession is going to bring satisfaction, I have misdiagnosed my life, and I'll never find the satisfaction God intended us to have. Let's read on as we also see other things that he tried. In verse 7 he said, I acquired male and female servants, and I had servants born in my house. And so this king, and this may sound, you know, we may think to ourselves, well, yeah, I kind of expected a king to experience this, but it's interesting that he goes ahead and he states it. This king says, 
I had men and women that were working for me to do everything for me that I wanted them to do. Now, how many of you, you're thinking to yourself uh, sometime lately or, or even today, you think to yourself, if I just had someone to do this, my life would be so much easier. I'd be happy. Oh, if I just had someone to clean my house for me, my life would be happy. Oh, if I just had someone to detail my vehicles once a month, I would be happy. Solomon says, I tried it. I had men and women servants to wait on me hand and foot. I remember in college, working in uh, lawn care for a multimillionaire family, and she was in her mid-twenties and he was in his young thirties. And uh, he was one of the most successful brokers outside of New York City. He was third in the world, in the nation. They had someone that mowed their lawn and someone else that took care of their landscaping and someone else that did the internal landscaping. They had someone to clean their house and someone else to do all the cooking. When their first child was born, they had a nanny, and when their second child was born, they hired a second nanny. The woman didn't lift a finger. She did whatever she wanted to do all day, but she did nothing productive every day. What a life, you say. You see, that's what we tell ourselves. We tell ourselves, oh, this is a difficult task. If I just had somebody do it for me, my life would be better. And then we turn around this task. Say, oh, if I just had somebody do this for me, my life would be better. So then we turn around this. We say, well, you know, if I could just have somebody do something for me all the time, my life would be perfect. By the time she was in her late 20s, this multimillionaire was an alcoholic. It was quite an eye-opening experience to see how useless life can be when we think that happiness and productivity cannot go hand in hand. If you have a job to get up and go to in the morning, count yourself blessed. Count yourself blessed that you have something productive to do. If you have a house to clean tonight, count yourself blessed that you have something productive to do. If you're thinking to yourself, if I can figure out a way to do nothing in this life, count yourself cursed because you've misdiagnosed life itself. The blessing is not escaping work. The blessing is that God has given us the strength to do productive things. He also tried, as we read the rest of verse 7, Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and special treasures of kings and of provinces. So as we would expect Solomon, the richest man that had ever lived probably at that point, but definitely had acquired more than anybody that was on the earth at that time, he could look around and no one could compare to his riches. What a sad note is that I really didn't realize until recent years, one of the reasons Solomon was so rich was because he was so greedy. He built so much they couldn't afford to pay for it, and so he taxed the people so heavy. The Canaanites that Israel was supposed to destroy, they didn't destroy them, and so what he did was he made them slaves. And then those that were the children of Israel, he didn't make them slaves, but he made them work for him. And he put heavy taxes and levies upon them, so great that if you'll remember, whenever he died, they went to his son and they said, you'll give us relief or we'll bow our back against you. And his son said, I will not give you relief. And they did. And that's how the divided kingdom came about. 
Yes, here's a man that he thought he would find satisfaction and purpose in life by obtaining more. And he obtained more at his nation's expense. And at his death, his nation paid the price for it. We're reminded that the blessings do not come by having more and more and more. And then also, it's interesting that he wanted entertainment. You see, as we read in the middle of verse 8, he said, I acquired male and female singers. It's interesting, not only that the king would have these, that's no surprise, but it's interesting that he lists these among the pleasures. And then we look at our society today. How important is entertainment today? How many millions and millions of dollars are spent a year on concert tickets, on music, on television, cable, dish, magazines, newspapers, movies? You get the idea. How much money time and energy do we spend on entertainment? And many have the idea in America today, if I can just break into that, and if I can be a big entertainer, I will have arrived and I will have fulfilled my purpose in life. And for a Christian, that's not true. Whether we're the one being sung to or the one singing, that's not where we arrive. And Solomon says, I tried it all. I tried having these people at my beckoning call, and it was vanity. It was emptiness. Well, what else did he try? As we read in the New American Standard Version, the close of this says, and the pleasure of men, many concubines. Solomon no doubt tried that. See, Solomon's idea of fulfillment along this line was to have 300 concubines and 700 wives. He knew what he was talking about when he said, I've tried it all, and there's no satisfaction in these things. Can you imagine how unfair it was to those ladies? Those ladies that had to devote their life to one man, but yet the one man probably didn't see them more than a few times a year, if even that often. Yes, there were many things that Solomon did that was a shame and a disgust to God and to righteousness. But you see, he misdiagnosed. He thought that he would honestly find satisfaction, that he would find a purpose to life if he could just have all of these things, but yet he didn't. And so let's read his closing here of this topic, Searching for Pleasure in 9, 10, and 11. He says, So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Can you imagine going to the mall with Solomon? Whatever his eyes desired, he didn't keep it from him. If he wanted to buy the mall, he bought the mall. If he wanted to buy a car or a car dealership, he bought whichever one he wanted. He didn't keep anything from his eyes that he wanted. He brought it home with him. I did not withhold from my heart any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on my labor in which I had told, and indeed all was vanity. And grasping for the wind, there was no profit under the sun. Now let's go back to our text this morning. With those things in mind, 
And when Solomon says in 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, now that's starting to ring clear what Solomon is saying. He says, listen to the conclusion of this whole matter. What's the whole matter? I've tried it all. Anything that I thought would bring pleasure, satisfaction, purpose to life. I want to be able to lie on my deathbed and say my life was worth living. I've tried the pleasure. I've tried the knowledge. I've tried it all. And hear the conclusion. Is he going to talk more about the knowledge of man? Is he going to talk more about possessions? Is he going to talk more about entertainment? What is he going to talk about when he says, let's bring it all home. This is what really matters. And he says, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God's For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. You see, in a sense, this is Solomon's second opinion. You go to a doctor and you say, Doctor, I trust you, but I just want to make sure. I want to get a second opinion. And you go over to this doctor and you receive a second opinion. Here Solomon is saying, look at the first part of Ecclesiastes. I've tried all of this because I believe that that would be the proper diagnosis to give me a happy, a purpose-filled life. And he said, I've tried all of those and I realized I need a second opinion. And so he comes back and he tries it God's way. What's God's way? Did you notice it had to do with fearing God? Let's read one passage about fearing God. Look at Deuteronomy the 10th chapter and verse 12. Deuteronomy the 10th chapter and verse 12. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of His ways and to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. So a part of fearing God is to recognize who God is and that He is worthy of all of our life. He's worthy of all of our love. He's worthy of all of our service. What's our purpose for living? Our purpose for living is to fear God. Whenever we take our place in life, in our family, and our careers, and we serve God as a family member, and we serve God as a citizen, and we serve God as a brother and sister in this church family, we're finding purpose in our life. But notice, not only did he say fear God, but he also said, and keep His commandments. Let's look at Hebrews the 5th chapter and 8 and 9, and we're reading what Jesus said about obedience, but also what is required of us. We're thinking about our purpose. Solomon is telling us, here's your purpose. It's not all of these other things. It's fearing God. It's obeying God. Listen to verse 8 and 9 of Hebrews, the fifth chapter. Though he was a son, talking about Jesus Christ was the Son of God, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. That's when we learn the most. When we obey because it's what we want to do, because it's convenient, that's really not a test. A test of obedience. We learn the most about obedience when we have to suffer in order to obey. Jesus learned obedience in this way. Now notice what this has to do with us. And having been perfected, He became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. Somebody says, Jesus is the Savior of everybody. No. He could be the Savior of everyone. Hebrews says He's only the Savior of those who obey Him. You see, when we find our purpose in life, our purpose is to fear God and then become a servant, submissive submissive to God. Why? What's the motive? 
because we want to live with God. One day, we're going to face God. Look with me, if you will, in Romans, the second chapter. And by the way, our text, remember in Ecclesiastes, our text talked about us standing before God on the day of judgment, and, and everything will be revealed, secret things, whether it's good or bad. Notice how I said here in Romans, the second chapter, and in verse 16, Picking up in the middle of the sentence as we're talking about Judgment Day, he says, In the day when God will judge the secrets of men, who's going to be the judge? By Jesus Christ, what's going to be the standard? According to my gospel. Friends, there's coming a day where every one of us will gather again. I remember at the end of my fourth grade class, I had a, a teacher. She was one of my favorite teachers that I ever had. I went back and spoke at her funeral just a few years ago. And she was about to retire, and she had taught our parents, and she had taught for several decades in the school system. And at the end, the last day of class, I remember her, you know, she had all of our attention. We were just eating out of her hand, and she said, you know, class, we've had fun this year, but we'll never be together as a class again. And she started talking about that, and we started crying. Oh, she just had us brokenhearted because we loved being in her class. And the idea, we won't be together again. Friends, you could say this morning, someone could stand and say, this group, just as it is today, will never be together again. And that's wrong. We're going to be together again. And everybody that's ever lived, and everybody that's going to live, and everybody that's alive today, we're going to gather in Matthew, the 25th chapter, and the Lord Jesus is going to be on His throne, and He's going to begin dividing us. And the things that have been secrets that nobody on earth has known are going to be revealed that day about your life and about my life. And if I haven't had the grace of God to forgive me of sins, all of those sins are going to be revealed. And if sin has separated me from God, I'm going to be placed on the left side and if I've been saved by the grace of God, the Lord is going to place me on the right side and He's going to take all of those that are on the right and He's going to deliver them to the Father and that's the purpose for living. It's not about our size of house. It's not about the pleasure that we seek from a carnal nature. It's not about how many degrees we have. It's not about how large our portfolio is. The king who tried it all said, Hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep His commandments. You and I better get ready for a long trip. It's a big trip. It's eternal. We usually don't get ready for this one overnight. We plan a lifetime for this one. And tonight, if you're missing your... This morning, if you're missing your purpose for living... Won't you get on board with Jesus Christ? Won't you find real satisfaction and purpose? If you've never been baptized into Christ, stop putting it off. Do what you were designed to do. Submit your life to God. Be saved. Live faithful to Him. Maybe you've been baptized with Christ, but yet something has pulled you away. Something has, has allured you and, and pulled you off course. This morning's the time to come back on course. Ultimate purpose, complete satisfaction, only in Jesus Christ. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.